Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doylestown Presbyterian Church. It's clear these days it's tough to make time. Schedules quickly become busy and calendars suddenly become full. To that end, DPC is excited to now offer this podcast channel, which will allow you to hear a recording of Sunday's sermon from that day's preacher. Whether you listen while taking an evening stroll, driving to and from the grocery store, or anytime you get a free couple of minutes, we hope it can allow for reflection and spiritual growth during your week. We also invite you to visit www.dtownpc.org to learn more about our church, our various ministries, and online giving opportunities. Thank you for tuning in. The rich man has an experience like Belshazzar. Both enjoy great wealth. Both are clothed in purple sign, robes, which is a sign of great wealth. And both enjoy feasting on lots of food. To have this kind of wealth in a society in which everyone depends upon what the land produces, to have this kind of lifestyle means that this subsistence land, whatever it produces is being taken by the wealthy and the powerful for them to have a lavish life. It means underpaying them, it means taking away the food that they have grown, it, has, it means causing them to go further and further into debt. Both of these men, Belshazzar and the rich man, live cut off from the vast majority of people in their community. The king in a palace and the rich man in a gated home. They're designed to keep people out. Both eat and enjoy their lives without concern for or interest in how it impacts others particularly those who are dying of starvation. Both the rich man and Belshazzar have examples of how it is that God wants them to live. Daniel reminds Belshazzar that, of what happened to his father. And the rich man, Jesus says, has heard how to live from God's word through Moses, the prophets, meaning Isaiah and others, and so the point we are left with is that both of these rich men have failed to listen or to act differently. And the consequence for both is unanticipated death. Daniel interprets the writing on the wall, telling Belshazzar that the writing many, many tekel parson means Many, that God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. And Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. You may remember that the two major themes in the book of Daniel are this cosmic battle between good and evil and staying faithful to God in hard times. And it might be appealing to consider these two cautionary tales as applying to someone else. After all, 
Belshazzar represents lavish, bad, rude, show-off behavior. Or to consider Jesus' words as applying only to wealthy business owners who exploit their workers and have no regard for the poor. But this is God's word for us. At least, it's God's word for Mrs. Smith. When a pastor preaches a sermon that might make us wriggle a little bit on the need for forgiveness or on the suffering caused by gossip or on the biblical nature of money and our attitude to it, there is in our human nature a tendency to want to hear the sermon as applying to someone else. We might even say or think something like this, I sure hope Mrs. Smith knows that that sermon was just for her. My first seminary sermon was on the story of the widow who gives her all, and so I preached on the nature of money to this small group of eight people in my seminary class, and it infuriated it infuriated this small group of people studying to be proclaimers of God's word. One woman was so angry, how dare I talk about money? And I thought, what has happened in your church? Where did you grow up? And how could you not have heard God's word? God in the story of King Belshazzar and Jesus in the story of the rich man is challenging us to get our acts together now. We are challenged to listen to the gospel and hear it and then to act on it in whatever ways that we can. Friends, for the last year, my devotional has been a book of moving through the spiritual disciplines. And each of them has been a challenge, and at different times and in different ways, I have been willing to take them on. But when I've come to this discipline of simplicity, of enough being enough, then I find all of the ways that I wrestle as Mrs. Smith. I find all of the ways that I struggle to understand or that is to think about money as God wishes, to think about wealth and possessions as things that are given to us in order to give God glory. This is a word, at least this Mrs. Smith resists. It's a word that confuses us. And so I want to turn as a way of learning to live as God invites, as God calls, as God expects. I want to turn to John Piper, who has written a book called Living in the Light, Money, Sex, and Power. And before him, 30 years ago, Richard Foster, in his book, Money, Sex, and Power, talked about understanding this challenge of money and wealth. So, John Piper says it this way, God did not conceive and create money, sex, and power simply to be a temptation. God had good purposes in mind. 
And these three go together because of our temptation. We sort of have the same attitudes towards our, of how we work with them. Money, sex, and power exist for the great aims of God in human history. With them, we can show the supreme worth of God. Money, sex, and power exist ultimately to show that God is to be more desired. God is to be more desired than money, sex, and power. Our preference for things over God are what destroy us. We distort then what is good in the world, what is meant for good in the world. John Piper goes on to say that we thought we were dealing with money, paper, currency, and coins, but in fact, underneath, we're dealing with the pleasures and advantages money can buy, or the status money can signify. And then we realize, no, that's not the bottom, because underneath that is covetousness, greed, fear, and cravings for safety, prestige, or control. Then again, no, that's not the bottom either, because the Bible teaches us that there is another reality, a condition of the heart. And it is this that we wrestle with. Can we love God more than we love our possessions? Can we love God more than the sense of security and safety and accomplishment that we get from our money and the things that it can buy? Jesus' ministry began by facing three temptations. They were money and power and status and prestige, those two going together. He faced those temptations because they are so deeply what is at the heart of what we will trust, what we will live for, what we will give our lives for. And so it is throughout the Gospel of Luke in particular that we continue to hear stories over and over of this wrestling with the nature of wealth and money and possessions. Because we're wrestling with where we give our heart. Paul, too, will speak to this issue of our hearts can we still love God and trust God and keep God at the center in times of plenty and in times of want? And Paul tells us that that is the lesson that has unfolded for him. The lesson is that Christ is the greatest riches of all. We are living in a time of great challenge with regards to money. Money has been turned into a patriotic symbol, buy, buy, so that we have a good economy. 
Money has been turned into this symbol of we need to have control and security over our lives. Money has been turned into all kinds of things and the message of the culture is more, more, more. And here's where it breaks our hearts. If the message is that we must have more and more and more possessions and bigger and bigger and bigger stuff, then fundamentally what we are robbed of is a sense of stability in the world. We are robbed of a sense of what has meaning and purpose if we have to keep buying more that we go into debt for, that we have no retirement because of these messages that come at us over and over. The debt of our college education and then wondering how we're going to pay for the debt of our children's college educations. <sighs> Learning to live in the midst of the message of our culture about money and possessions is the invitation that Christ has for us. I know a woman, longtime Presbyterian Christian educator, has done many things in the Presbyterian church, both in local churches and regionally and as part of the national office. She's a woman whose family made a very conscious decision that they would always give 10% of whatever income, whatever resources they had to the ministry of God. She talked about the fact that that meant that then they had to make conscious choices about how long they kept their car they had to make conscious choices about how big the house they lived in was and conscious choices about where they went on vacation. And when it came time for their children to go to college, they had to make conscious choices about what that debt would look like. In the giving of 10%, her spiritual discipline, the discipline that she and her husband lived into, they learn to manage their 90% with greater faithfulness and simplicity. To know when enough was enough. So I'm going to suggest some simple things that you might do, or maybe Mrs. Smith might do. I encourage you to have one day a week that's a day free of technology and a free of, day free of making a purchase. Do that once a week. Simplify. Come into your relationships. Come into your home. Come into your yard. Come into creation. Come into the community. Another step would be with each purchase, before you hit that buy button, place the order, oh, this one's hard, <laughs> is ask, what is the purpose of this purchase? What need does it fulfill? What need am I trying to satisfy? 
It is now popular and familiar among people who are trying to deal with not having good eating habits to stop and say, I'm going to eat this ice cream, but what is my true need? Is my need loneliness? Is my need frustration? Is my need for a deep breath of fresh air? And so we can ask the same things of the things that we buy. What is the need I'm trying to satisfy with this purchase? And will this do it? Another question is, how does this purchase support the earth? How does it provide for equity and justice? Another simple place to start is with a gratitude journal. On a daily basis, to give God thanks for the things of this world that you did not buy. For the air, and the water, and the birds, and the people, and the hope, and the joy. To begin to be focused on all that God provides with such great generosity. Daniel, in our story today, refused the robe and the gold medallion. He did not have any need for those symbols of status and wealth and power. Daniel wanted to live his life without regret for the ways in which he loved God and loved people. And so another way to think about all of learning to live with the attitude of enough is enough, to live with simplicity is to remember the regrets that we do not want to have. We do not want to regret that we have not cared for the people around us. And we do not want to regret that we have not listened to God's word in Moses, the prophets, and in Jesus, that we might have a different kind of heart. And we do not want to regret that we did not live a life of integrity, doing work that was meaningful, doing what enabled the love of neighbor and the love of God. So we come yearning, yearning to be able to live in the fullness of the life that God has for us. A life of love, of belonging, meaning, and purpose. May it be a journey that if you have already been on, you will guide others to take. May it be a journey in which you find companions that together, together, we know the abundant riches of the love of Jesus Christ. Amen.
Thank you for joining us on your journey of faith. Don't forget to check out www.dtownpc.org to explore all the ways DPC strives to be a bridge for Christ and a beacon of His love.